Tov. Today's staff is Mem Hey 45. And we pick up at the bottom of Mem Dalad Amut's bet. We have finished going through the sort of drashot of the Psukim about the case of Kofer. And then we moved on to a um, discussion about whether it matters if there are owners of the ox. Clearly that matters for the idea of, Ko- of Kofer, but doesn't matter for the idea of stoning the ox. Uh, since the Psukim so much talk in the context of the owners and the ox, etc., maybe the, the, the needs to have owners, which is Rabbi Huda's position, or the Chamin's position is that no so the stoning itself which you know the owners don't even have to be at fault for then it doesn't matter if the ox is uh, even a wild ox you would still stone it okay so now we pick up with the Mishnah at the bottom and about the status now that we've decided about when you stone the ox when you pay co-fare we're going to deal with the status of it as a Shur Haniskal something that uh, that we've touched on earlier as well so the Mishnah at the bottom of Mendal Amazbet Shur Shur Yotzei Sakel. a Shur is going out to be stoned it's interesting, right? There's a mission Sanhedrin about what happens when a person is being taken out to be executed. So here you have the ox being taken out to be executed. And the owners say, I am sanctifying it to the Beit HaMikdash, especially since we just learned yesterday that according to Rabbi Yehuda, if they sanctify it, they prevent it from actually being, uh, becoming a Shor But anyway, whichever, whether that's true or not, does the sanctity take, uh, take hold? Um, it does not take hold. At the moment that it is already being taken out to be stoned, and the Gemar Din, the final judgment has been passed, it's a Shohan then it is considered to be Isure Hana, forbidden in benefit, and uh, fundamentally, because it's forbidden in benefit, it's seen as either ownerless or outside the meaningful control of the owners. If you can't get benefit from anything, you're not considered to be in control over it, and therefore it has you, and therefore you cannot sanctify it. Um, so if you shechted it, the meat, the flesh remains forbidden, right? Even if it's out, uh, not stoned, we learned earlier, lo yechel et even when it turns into meat, a beef, it remains forbidden once there has been a gemar din. Um, um, however, if you did these things before the, it was, uh, the, the final judgment had been passed, even if it was in the middle of the proceedings, it was clear that's where things were going. If the owner sanctified it is sanctified to the Beit HaMikdash now other than Rabbi Yehuda the, the court will can still judge after a tektesh that it is usher that it is a shohani skal and they will take it out and stone it but at least for the interim it is sanctified um, but if you shechted it then clearly that way you will certainly save it from the uh, final judgment of the Beitin because if you shechted the meat will be permissible and it cannot have a gemar din unless it is alive when the basin get, does its ruling. So that's actually a way where you can subvert the system and you know and you will then benefit from the meat of from, from the meat of it, which is obviously significant, if you can get your hands on it. Presumably the court will have it will, will be holding on to it and not and try to prevent that from happening. But if you do that it is not yet a the meat is permissible and what's not discussed in the Mishnah but is the case is that then it will never become forbidden. Then you have actually subverted the system. Yes. So if it was judged and it's like the man who's already dead even yeah, it's similar to that idea. I mean, we don't fully say that, but in similar way, somebody is already judged and being taken out to be executed. Then, if you like wound him or whatever, you curse him. All these exemption, all these things that he like loses a lot of his significant status in law. Right.
right. So here it's similar, although here it's even that's a harder idea because that's like you know to what degree, like you said, we're saying a person is dead while he's still alive. Here we're just saying that he's out of the owner's control. Okay, or he always had a status of a shorhaniskal once it's gemar din, so therefore it remains forbidden even after you shecht it. But if you did these things before of gemar din, then you have managed to subvert the system. Um, now misaro, or at least temporarily misaro is shomer chinam. Now um, this is now um, you handed this shorhaniskal to before it became a shorhaniskal. You gave your ox to a uh, to somebody a bailey as the old translations would have it. Somebody who would, which is the legal term for it. Anyway, somebody whose job it is to watch the animal, a shomer, whether he is paid, whether he is unpaid, ula shoel, or to a borrower who has full liability, goes to the two extremes. An unpaid shomer who has like minimal liability, a borrower who has full liability, or somebody who is being a paid watcher, or somebody who is renting it, which has a middle level liability. In all those cases, they stand in the place of the owners. Now, now we are no longer talking about a Shohanisko. This really should be completely a different Mishnah, which is, what happens when you give your ox to somebody? You lend it, you rent it, you, they, you give them to watch it. We already know a whole category of Shomrim. Well, the Gemara brought it in, but it's the first time in the Mishnah. We already know a whole category of Shomrim, which is when they are, they're liable for damages that occur to the object to reimburse the owner. Here the Mishnah introduces that when you take an object, because you become sort of, you know, it's sort of like, what do they say, like at school or par- or, or at camp, that the uh, teacher or the administration becomes, what is it, uh, in locus parentis? So here, too, even though your responsibility is to the owner, you never became, you never took an obligation towards the rest of the world, but if you take it under your care, then you do take, you become in locus balis, I guess, or whatever, <laughs> you do become in the position of the owners, and you become responsible in terms of the damage that it does to the larger world. Now, there are ways in which you can explicitly stipulate against that and tell the owners, I'm not taking that responsibility, but by default you are, and therefore that is what the end of the mission teaches, having nothing to do uh, with the uh, Shorhaniskal case. Now, we did have a case earlier, I think, about what happens if the Shomer can return it to the owners, right? No, are we getting up to that? Actually, I think we're getting up to that. No, we're getting up to that. Yeah, yeah, so we have that in the Gemara, but this is the first case in the mission. Okay, Tarabanan. Okay, so now we're going to first look at the case about it becoming a shorhanis, about uh, doing these things before or after it has a gemar din. Shor shehimit achelo nigmar dino. If it's killed before the gemar din. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, shor shehimit. I put the comma in the wrong place there. Shor shehimit, an ox killed. Achelo nigmar dino, before the gemar din, macharo machor. If you sell it, it's a legitimate sale. It's still yours. It has not become yisurei hana. Hekdeh muktash. If you sanctify it, it becomes holy. Shechato, if you shecht it, psaro mutai. The meat is permissible. It has, does not yet have a status, even though it's in the process of the court case. Here's something that we did not really address in the Mishnah. If the if if a watcher, a guardian, basically you gave it to somebody to watch before, and it was a simple animal, whatever, it was an ox that never did anything wrong in its life, and in I gave it to Ruvain to watch, and while it was under Ruvain's care, it went ahead and it killed somebody, and it became a Shohanisko. Okay, then Ruvain says to me, here, here's your ox back. So, so anyway, so if he does that to me, if he actually gave it back to me before the Gemar Din, okay, I gave you your ox back. What, you're complaining that it's in the middle of some court case? Yeah, that's not my problem. I gave you your ox back. There's no visible damage on your ox. 
End of story. Okay, you should need but, Bardino. I mean, it, 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 yeah, was he grandma and whatever? I mean, the court case will still go on. Yeah, the court case will go on. Like, like, you know, like, the, the, the oh, it's yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, no, because that's probably about Muad and Tom. This is about a Shraniskal. We should need Mardino after the, the Gmardin, then it's already gets the status of a Shraniskal. It's forbidden in benefit. It's therefore, it's effectively out of my control. If I try to sell it, it's not a legitimate sale. If I sanctify it, it is not sanctified. Right? It's whether either I don't own it or I don't have effective control over it. If I shecht it, it does not. It, the, once it has a, that's what we learned again from Lo Yechel Et Pesaro. Once there's a Gemar Din, then even if it doesn't get stoned, even if it gets shechted after the Gemar Din, it has a status of a Shor Niskal, and the meat remains forbidden. Um, and if uh, Reuven gave it back to me, I gave it to him as a completely tame, innocent ox. It went ahead under his control, under his watch, and Gordon killed somebody. And then it was a whole Gemar Din and Bastin, and after the Gemar Din and Bastin, then he said, oh, by the way, though, here's your ox back, then, I'm sorry, buddy, you have not returned my ox. This now is considered like a different object, a damaged object that you are returning to me, and therefore you have to reimburse me. One minute. Reb Yaakov, Reb Yaakov says, uh, where are we? No, even after Gmardin, he can say, here's your ox back. Okay, and now we're going to focus on this debate about whether he can say, here's your ox back. Yes, Michael. So my question is this, I mean, how much of that is because it already caught someone and now you're just trying to verify or meaning like let's say you gave me your ox which is in the middle of a court case yeah Martin, you know and then I you know get it right I do that. right then the Gamardin happens right then is that considered they gave it back to you yep and that's what we're going to see no, that's not quite the apple. Of course, it's yeah yeah, let's take a look. Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. Oh, so okay, it's only with all that happened after the Gemara. Right. Okay. So okay, um, let's take a look. So Gemara says like this. Um, wait, wait. So what is this debate here about whether they can return it to me after the Gemara? Lema b'hak misli. Let's say this is the debate of the Rabban and Rabbi Yaakov whether the owner, the uh, the guardian, can return it to me after the Gemara. The Rabban and Savri ain't only be stray hanaah reishachalfanecha. Rabbi Yaakov Savri only be stray hanaah reishachalfanecha. So here. Here's a question, right? The same way, it's very funny. You know, you would think that if somebody becomes a shomer, they're liable for indirect loss, right? Like if, if they it caused me a loss because of their poor job of watching, they have to reimburse me. But it's not true. Again, it's similar to... It's, yes, but it's not indirect loss, okay? It's similar to this idea, like we've been talking about when I caused somebody a damage, right? It's not enough that I was indirectly li- responsible. It was my negligence. It needs to operate through something concrete, through like a right? Because it's my animal that gore, then I'm liable. But if I'm just negligent and I didn't directly cause damage, not. Now, by a shomer, it doesn't need to be direct, okay? I am responsible to watch it, so if I'm negligent and something happens because of my obligation to watch, even if I don't, I'm not a mazik, I'm negligent and the object got damaged, I have to pay. But, that's only when it concretely got damaged. Let's say it, there was, it, there's no damage to the object, but you're suffering the loss as a result of my, of my poor job. So, for example, the ox now is going to be stoned. Let's say, let's take the case when I return it to you before Gmar Din. Physically, the ox isn't damaged, but you're about to suffer a significant loss because of my poor job. 
I'm sorry. I'm not liable. I'm not liable just you know just for any loss that you suffer. The, sh- the, the, the difference between a mazik and a shomer is that a shomer doesn't have to do an act of damaging. A shomer it's enough that he's negligent and damage occurred to the object, but you still need there to be concrete damage to the object. I am only liable when I am giving you back an object that is damaged. Okay. Now, therefore, let's say the object I'm giving you back shows no physical damage, but it is worth less because it has now become Isurei Hana'ah. Okay, and the classic example would be would be Chametz on Pesach. You give me Chametz before Pesach to watch, and uh, you're asking for it back from me, and you're saying, Doh, give me back my Chametz. It's going to be Pesach tomorrow. I want to at least have a, you know, eat it. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I'll get, I'll get around to it. I'll give it back to you eventually. Okay, and then I wait till it's actually Pesach, and I return it to you. Okay, and then it's, of course, worthless. So can I say, look, I gave you your object back. It was an undamaged object. The fact that I indirectly caused you a loss, that you were now not able to use it, and now you're going to have to throw it out. Yeah, it's not my problem. I gave you back the same object. Or do we say, once it's Asr Behana, it basically is a damaged object, okay? It doesn't have to be physical. Sometimes, sort of a societal perception reality makes us see something as worthless, as damaged, okay? It's not just that even if there's no physical mark. Like, imagine Confederate money after the Civil War, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's the same physical object. I don't know. I'm giving it back to you, right? Or do we say, right, no, at that stage, it's actually Okay, and now I'm sure it's worth a fortune. Anyway, at that stage, it's actually considered to be damaged. Okay, so do you say by Isrei Hana'ah, something that's forbidden in benefit, it's considered to be damaged or not? And can I say to you, So maybe that's the debate, right? Everybody agrees you can give it back before Gemar Din, because at that stage, it's not yet Asr Be'hana'ah. After Gemar Din, the rabbis say, you can't give it back. Once it's Asr Be'hana'ah, it's seen as a damaged object. And Rabbi Yaakov says, you can give it back. It's still physically undamaged. Let's say that's the debate. Okay? So it says, um, let's read that again. Let's say this is debate. You cannot say if something is forbidden or offended. Here, it's yours. I'm giving it back to you. It's the same object. Okay? No, it's not the same object. You can't say that. So let's say that's a very good way of explaining the debate. So Amarabah, no. Everybody would agree that fundamentally you can say why the in Cain or like it's sort of like the in love Cain if you were to say that, that they're debating that question okay why not debate about a more classic case of can you say can you return chametz on Pesach and say I'm giving it back to you and Rashi basically says that from the Mishnayot and from the other sources it seems clear that everybody agrees even the Rabbanan agree that you can give back Chametz on Pesach and say that if a Shomer was lazy in getting the Chametz back and he gave it back on Pesach he actually is free of liability so it seems like Everybody holds. You can say Harei Shachal Fanecha by Yisurei Hanaah. Okay, if that's true, okay. Yeah. 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 Yours. You're the Shomers. No, but that's but that's but we but we'll worry about that when we learn Pesachim. That's not our issue right now. Okay, but everybody agrees that a normally Yisurei Hanaah you can say Harei Shachal Fanecha. So if that's true. Why do the rabbis think the Shohaniskal is different? Okay. So if so, so uh, 
Where are we? Um, uh, the debate is whether we can finish the judgment against the ox not in the presence of the ox. Okay? I think I mentioned to you this other day. The ox. The ox. Okay? The owner, you need you know, is one question and you need the owner there, yes. Okay? But there's, uh, no, I don't think that's a good question. That's a good question. I have to get back to that. Anyway, but besides the question about the owner being present, here's the question, does the ox also have to be present? You know, you're like, what, what is it? In the Constitution, you have a right to uh, face your accuser, so does the ox have the right? But here's not a question of the right. In order to have the Gemardin, do you need to have the ox present? Okay. Yeah, yep, he's bringing him into the courtroom. Uh, well, you bring him in because you need it for the Gemardin. Okay, so, I'm going to the Okay, let's go. You can only have the Gemardin in the presence of the ox. Okay, and therefore, you, the Shomer, who allowed a Gemardin to occur, you were to blame for the fact that it had the Gemardin. Why? The Amrile, the owners can say to the Shomer, yeah, 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 yeah. if you had just given me back my ox in time, I would have stolen it away to the uh, swamp. Remember the swamp? Okay, Hasha, now because of your negligence, not only negligence in it becoming a Shohanisko, but your negligence it's in good. letting it the court, letting the court get a hold of this, at paste the Torah, you have caused my ox to be grabbed in the hands of somebody that I cannot uh, get it at, you know, I, I can't bring to judgment, meaning, it's funny, I can't bring based into din. But anyway, meaning you've got my ox in the hands of somebody that it's lost to me now. Okay? Therefore, that's one. That's what they say. Reb Yaakov seven. Reb Yaakov holds. Going dino shashor shalabefanav. No, you actually it wouldn't have mattered whether Basin had taken a hold of the ox or not. You can finish the judgment not in its presence. The Amar lay because then I can say back to the owners. So 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 in the end, they would have done a gemar din with or without having hold of it. So therefore, don't come crying to me now. The question is, what the heck does this have to do with anything? Because at the end of the day, we're saying, the question is, are the owners saying to me, it's my fault that it had a Gemar Din or not, right? Okay, fine. But the question wasn't fault. It was my fault I didn't return the Chalas on Pesach. But I'm still able to say, It's my fault that the ox went out and killed somebody in the first place. But I'm still able to say, So who cares if it's also my fault the basin got a hold of it? Let me still say, What difference does it make? We weren't talking about the issue of fault. We were talking about the issue of whether the object is considered to be damaged or not, right? So how does this make a difference? So there's a long Rashi that tries to figure this out, and Rashi basically says the following. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says... Um, if you look at Rashi, it's about... I don't know where to describe it. You see what says Shmos Chafalif in the margins here between Rashi and the Gemara? Uh, yeah, okay, so if you go up about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven lines above that, on the beginning of the line, it says, Hacha. He says, Hacha, Mishum Hachi Amri Abanan Eina Muchsar, Damalei Atchisailatar. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry. Uh, higher than that. Um, one minute. Yeah. 
Here's why they say you can't return it. It's not indirect damage, it's direct damage. Because Raji says it doesn't just mean the basin grabbed hold of it. If the basin grabbed hold of it, I could say, but I, Raji reads this in the Gemara, which is not shot. I actually directly handed it over to the basin. The high did not get had I returned it it's not that I'm liable for, for lack of returning it if you would have given it back to me I would have eaten it okay so Rashi says so therefore Rashi says the question here is not to blame and fault that's true about Chomet Pesach as well and you're still putter Rashi says the case here is not that I let Basin grab hold of it but I directly gave it to Basin okay but you could still say, who cares if I directly gave it to Basin? It's still the same object. So Rashi says, my ability to say, I'm giving you back the same object, is only when the damage occurred by itself. Not directly through my hands. But if I directly did something to make it Isurei Hana'ah, let's take the following example. Let's say, um, well, I'm trying to think of another example. Uh, let's say I planted it. You gave me some grapevines to watch, and I planted wheat by it, and I made it into kilayim. I directly did something to make it isurehana'ah. You gave me some flour to watch, and I added water to it, and I made it hummus, okay? But that would be different. Then I came it. Anyway, Raji would say, when you directly did it, you're no longer able to say, Okay, now, that's a hard read of the Gemara for two reasons. Number one is the Gemara does not say I directly handed it over. Right? That's a special case. The Gemara sounds like I let it be grabbed by Bastin. So it doesn't say that I handed it over. Number two is if the object is, is seen as the same object, then it's the same object whether I directly handed it to Bastin or whether Bastin seized it. Who cares that I did it via dying? I did it directly. Still the object is the same physical is the same object. If we're considering it that I, it's the same object, let me hand it back. So Tosa says differently. Tosa says the question is whether it is considered to be nikar or not a hezek nikar remember for example right I said like what is the story about you know uh, about about uh, confederate money after the civil war okay or let's say for example here let's use my kilayim example let's say you gave me grapevines and I planted or I let it doesn't matter if I did it be a dime I let some uh, wheat seeds grow nearby would you say it's the same grapevines you're saying it's not the same Meaning, it's not just Aser Behana. You can see that it's Kilayim. You can see that it's growing together with the wheat. Okay? You can see, you can, if you look at Confederate money after the Civil War, you can see that this is plain money. It's the same physical money, but you're, so your lens through which you're seeing it is, you're seeing this as, wor- as, right, as worthless money. So therefore, what Tosa says is, the same is true once Basin has seized the shore. If I say to the owner, imagine now, Basin has the shore, and I say, oh, you want your ox back? It's right there. Just go to the courtroom. You'll, you can find it, okay? It, it, seeing it in the hands of Bastin is seeing it damaged, okay? It's not like I gave them back their chametz, and you can't see the fact that it's usher behind, it just happens to be Pesach, okay? You're seeing the ox in jail there, okay? 
Okay? In the basin, you are seeing a damaged ox. But, here's the difference. If it wouldn't matter, this is a little ironic, if it wouldn't matter if it's in the hands of basin or not, because they could have a gemar din even if it wasn't in their hands, then seeing them in possession of it is not seeing the damage. Because the damage exists whether or not they're in possession of it or not in possession of it. You understand? Did you get that? Yeah, I mean, it's more, it's more making it... Meaning, would it be the same status if it weren't in their hands? Yes. So therefore, being in their hands doesn't make it more damaged. But since it wouldn't be that status without being in their hands, if, if, if you say, so it wouldn't have the status without being in their hands, then the physical reality of being in their hands is what makes it damaged. So for Tosos, the difference is, both Rashi and Tosos agree, the difference is not blame. You're always to blame, but you can still say, For Rashi, when you do a direct act, and he makes the case that you did a direct act, you handed it to Basin, Tosa says, no, who cares about a direct act? It's about whether it's damaged or not. The difference is, is that do you view, even though there's no physical change in the ox, do you view it as damaged? If it doesn't matter who's holding on to it, then, you've, then the damage is more abstract. But if it matters who's holding on to it, and Basin is holding on to it, then the being in the possession of Basin means that it is seen of as being damaged. You had a question, Dana? Well, that seems like a better comparison to the Pesach thing than the, whether you're, like, how you're Right. Right, but you can say by Pesach Right, right. Right. Okay, not like a better, like the when you were saying you can't, it doesn't look different to me. Like, I mean, it looks different on Pesach. Right. I, I was wondering the same thing. Why is on Pesach different than Confederate money after the Civil War? Right. right so. <laughs> right. So that's what Rashi says. That's what Rashi says. But then you have to read that into the Gemara, and the logic isn't as clear. Why should the idea of doing it yadai make a difference if fundamentally you're Thing, you see it as the, it's a lot, it's, you see it as the same object. So Rashi, whatever, no. Somehow, when you do it dime, you have higher liability. But Rashi has to at least read that into the case in the Gemara. Yes. Well, what I'm trying to understand is you know, we're kind of going back and forth. That oh, because Basin can do the Gemara din without it. But I thought we were trying to say we can test by the Gemara. Well, we're about to see that. We're about to see that. That's the debate of Yaakov and the Chachamim, and we're about to see what that's based on. But I'm also trying to understand um, okay so let's look at the first wide line of Tostos he says in the middle of the first wide line the near Ellery Rashi is wrong it's not only when you handed it to Basin even if Basin grabbed it if it, once it came in the hands of Basin it's, you're always to blame that's not the issue but now it's obvious that it's a sure nisko so it's not about the negligence it's about in the hands of Basin it is now a visible damage the Gomorist, you know, he says, no, even in the hands of Basin, the damage isn't physical. Because they would have had to pass the same judgment even had it not been in their hands. The fact that it's in their hands is not what caused the damage. So seeing it in their hands is not seeing the damage. The damage is unrelated to it being in their hands.
means. Okay? You can infer that it's a shorhanisco, but you're not seeing the damage. Okay? Um, so it's like, I think it's a brilliant point. Okay? In both cases, you can infer that the shore is a shorhanisco, because you see it in the hands of the basin. But in one case, you're inferring the damage. Oh, it's in their hands. They must have, they must have made it to a shorhanisco. The other case, you're seeing the damage. The fact that they could not make it a shore nisco without being in their hands means seeing it in their hands is seeing the thing that damaged it. Okay? And therefore, that makes it a Hezek Nikar. That's the way Tosus reads it. Okay? So that's the debate of the Chachamim and Rabbi Yaakov. And now the Gemara turns to this debate about a shore nisco. So the Gemara says like this. Um, my time is Rabbanon. What's the reason of the rabbi that the ox has to be in the presence of Basin? Okay? Um, yumat. It says the, shor- the ox will be stoned and the owners will be put to death. Of course, not literally, but anyway. We treat the execution of the ox like we would the execution of the owners, which has been very clear from a lot of halachot in terms of what is the type of act that makes it considered an act of murder worthy of skill, etc. But here we're taking it one step further. The same way you can't pass a judgment on somebody not in their presence, you can't pass the judgment on the ox if the ox isn't present in Bastin. Rabbi Yaakov and Rabbi Yaakov would say to you, no, you've got to use a little common sense. The owners can make a claim. They can actually defend themselves. They can, you know, they have to be present so that they can, uh, you know, uh, challenge any evidence being brought against them. You think the ox is going to make some claims its own defense? So we're not going to arbitrarily say the ox has to be there. Actually, we rule like the Chachatim. And you cannot make it into a Sharanisko without the ox being so present in the basin. Yep. Correct. Well, it's more like a time of Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. Now we get to the la- next point, so the, which is unre- not really the Shoranisko point, the other very important issue, that when you give it to a Shomer to watch, even though your fundamental focus might be to protect it from damage, the pro Shomer, by taking it into their possession, unless they stipulate against it, fundam- becomes liable for any damage that it does to others. Why is that in the mission? Because it's the, it, it, you got to blame the, the, the printers of the, of the, of the, of the Vilna Shas. Okay? In the, um, actual, I don't know, I haven't checked the actual Mishnayot, but it's quite likely a separate Mishnah in the actual Mishnayot. Okay, Masaloj the Shomer Four people take a step in place of the owners, the Eluhin, and these are they. Uh, somebody who watches it for free, an unpaid watcher, a borrower, a, uh, a paid watcher, and a renter. Okay? Hargu, if they, now, if they actually, the ox went out and gored, like anything else. If the ox is a tom, then it would be stoned, but nobody would pay kofir. If it's a muad, the ox is stoned, and they, the shomim now, are the ones who pay kofir. Okay, and the idea of paying kofir, and who is sort of liable and has this guilt, you know, and this uh, uh, for, for loss of life. Now, it's not just a question of financial liability. You also have this, like, you know, moral guilt here as well for the fact that this person lost their life, and you are the one that needs to bring a kofir right now. Okay? Not only that, though, here is the question about If they get the ox stoned, okay, they have to reimburse the owner for the fact that their ox is now stoned. Now, 
this is not our earlier discussion. Our earlier discussion was that they returned it to the owner after Gemar Din, before it was stoned. Then it was Hezek Sheno Nikar. Here the ox has been stoned. So now they have a double liability. They'd have to pay the victim's family the kofar, and they'd have to pay the owner for getting their ox stoned. Okay? Um... Now, with the exception of a Shomer Chinam, he does not have to reimburse the owner, okay, for the ox. So now we're going to figure that out. Amri, that's the end of the bright there. Now we're going to analyze that. Hechidami, what's the case? If the ox was watched, so as well as it could be, everybody should be exempt from reimbursing the owner. Now here's an interesting question, okay? We know that when you watch an ox, the highest level of Shmira, we'll see about different levels in a minute, and it damages people, you're exempt from the damage that it, that it does to people or to property. What if you give the ox, you, you watch the ox maximum Shmira, are you exempt also from it becoming a Shohanisko? Are you exempt from paying Kofair? What is the halachas in terms of death, in terms of the Shmira, okay? So here, the Gemara, well, let's figure that out as we read the Gemara, okay? So let's take a look. Hey, what's the case? Idinatre, if you watched it, Afilukulu Nami Lifteru. Everybody should be exempt from reimbursing at least the owner because they did their maximum, le- the level of Shmira they were required to, and therefore, uh, you know, they have no liability, at least to the owner. Whether they're liable to other people for Kofar is a different story. Okay, so even though presumably the ox would be stoned, they are not liable to the owner. Okay, the Idolonatre, if they didn't watch it, Afilukulu. So the Shomachinim was negligent that the ox became a Shoran Nisqal. Let him reimburse the owner. So Amri, what are we talking about? So we're about to see this in the next Mishnah. Finally, 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 we're going to get to talking about in the next Mishnah what level of Shmira exempts me from liability. Okay? And basically, what we're going to assume here is that a, a, I need to do the highest level of Shmira. In, now, l- l- let me take a step back and say this. What is a Shomer Chinam Chai for and what is a Shomer Sach? And a, and, and a socher chayfor. A shomer chinam is chayfor only gross negligence, pshia. Okay, which means that you did not do a minimum shmira. You didn't even do the na- normal standard shmira that a normal person would do. What's a shomer chinam and a, what's a, sh- a shomer socher and a socher chayfor? Even small negligence, okay? Which means that even like Gineva and Aved, even if it gets stolen, stolen is not grossly negligent. People sometimes get robbed, okay? But even if there's just a little negligence, a shomer or no are only exempt not when they do base shmira shmira pchusa but only when they do shmira meula maximum level of shmira okay that's in terms of their liability to the owner alright so here you basically have you know shmira pchusa you got this level okay and then you have shmira meula this level of shmira okay Oh, if something happens even after you've done Shmira Ma'ula, that's considered an onus. If something happens, what type of things can happen after Shmira Pachusa? That could be Gneva and Aveda. I never understood why Aveda is considered to be not full negligence, but we're not going to worry about that. Okay? If, if, so, if, 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 you, if, if you, if you didn't do Shmira Pachusa, then this is going to be real Pshia, gross negligence. Okay? Alright, so, that's sort of the level of Shmira, and what's considered to be the circumstances under which you are, um, uh, you know, into uh, what, what, what level of sort of fault of occurrence of the thing. Now, in this type of a case, 
Okay, a shomer chinam is chayiv for this. So a shomer chinam has to do shmir pchusa. He's chayiv. I got it. He's chayiv for only for pia and a no say sachar and a socher. Is kaya for the middle level, and they have to do a shmir meula. Okay, great. Now, how about the ox? What level of of shmira do you have to do to stop to be exempt from somebody else? Your ox to be exempt when your ox goes out and gores and injures somebody else. What level do you have to do? Okay. So the Gemara is saying we're going to be talking about a case that you did a shmir pchusa. Okay, the ox went out and it gored. That still is you're negligent enough. Because you have, because you only Dishma that you're still liable to pay kofar, you're still liable for the shore becomes a shurhaniskal, all of those things. Because you didn't do the maximum, so you're liable to other people. Okay, but, can I say to the owner, here's your ox back? So if I was a shomer chinam, am I liable to the owner? I'm not liable to the owner. The fact that I did a minimum shmira means that in terms of my responsibility to the owner, I can say I wasn't grossly negligent that your ox became a Shoranisco. I know it's too bad it became a Shoranisco. People were hurt. But I wasn't my gross negligence and therefore people. I don't have to re- people. I don't have to reimburse you for your for your stoned ox. Okay? So that would be why the Shomachinam would be exempt for reimbursing the owner. A minimum level of Shmir was done. He's off the hook vis-a-vis the owner, but the other people are not off the hook vis-a-vis the owner. That's the Gemara's answer. But now let's see how the Gemara continues to explore that. Wait, let's just finish this. Okay? So, Shomachinam Kasulo Shmir. So the Shomachinam says, I did my job. I'm exempt to the owner. Whether the shore still, somebody's still going to pay a kofa or whatever, that's a separate question. But I'm exempt from my responsibility to the owner. Hanach, the others, low cost shmirah, and their shmirah, their job is not done. Amri, so now you say, come on, who are you going like? Ik Rebbe Meir, to Amri, Socher Keshomer Chinam Dami. So now there's a question, there's a debate, where do you put a Socher? Is a Socher in the Shomer Chinam category? Or in the Nose Sacher category. So Rabbi Meir says the Socher goes down here with the Shomer Chinam. Okay? So our Mishnah said a Shomer Chinam has, gets off the hook with the owner. So Abright. So it's clear that Abright is assuming that a Socher has a higher degree of responsibility than the Shomer Chinam. Okay? But the Gemara is just going to figure this out. Where, where does the Socher get categorized? If it follows a Rabbi Meir position that you put the Socher down here, then the Socher should also be able to be exempt to the owners. Okay? Let it say that the even the socher can say, um, "Hey, guy, hey, hey, owners, I, I, I'm not grossly negligent. I don't have to reimburse you for your stoned ox." The Eker Rebbe Yehuda, now if it's presumably going like Rebbe Yehuda, Damar Socher Kenose Socher Dami, that says a Socher is like the paid watcher, which makes sense. So therefore the Shomachinim could say, I'm not grossly negligent, I'm off the hook for the owners, but they still have to reimburse the owners. If that's true, Nisni, Chutzmi Shomachinam, say Chutzmi Shomachinam, the Kulam Bimuadim Pturim Linen Tofer. So, well, let me just stick right here. Um, Right, so Reb Yehuda is going to say in the next Mishnah, right, remember, we, this, this has assumed that, as I said, this is the level of responsibility to the owners. Now, when are you responsible 
to if you went ahead and you watched your ox and it went out and it's and it's gored, okay? What level of responsibility are you high of if your ox gored? Remember we discussed this before, this weird position of Reb Yehuda? So Reb Yehuda said if your ox was a muad then you're off the hook by a shmir b'chusa. But if your ox is a tam, you're all, you need to do a shmir ma'ula. Do people remember that strange yeah. position of Reb Yehuda? So, okay. So if we're doing Reb Yehuda that puts Socher in this category, which makes sense, and we're talking about that you did a shmir b'chusa here, okay, so then why are we having the Shomer paying kofar? If the Shomer did a shmir b'chusa, Right, that's the scenario we're dealing with. That the shomer did a shmir so the shomer chinam can say to the owner, "It's not gross negligence. I don't have to reimburse you for your stone docks." Then why is anybody paying the kofar? Kofar is by a case of a muad, and you did a shmir pachusa, so everybody should be exempt from a kofar. Okay, so let's see that again. The igreb yehuda damer socher kenoser sachadami nisni chutzmi shomer chinam. Shomer chinam doesn't have to pay for the stone docks because it was not gross negligence. The kulam b'muadim paternally in kofar, and then say also that everybody nobody has to pay a kofar because you did a minimum shmira and you don't have to pay a kofar because a muad is the same way a muad is you're exempt for damages that a muad does if you did shmir pchusa you're exempt for kofar if you did a shmir pchusa okay so the Gemara says Amar Afuna Bar Chinana I thought the Torah was for the damaging, for paying for what Amua did, which means paying for damage or paying for kofar. That's the Skamar's assumption. If the, if the same Ishmael Pchusa exempts you for damage that Amua does, it exempts you for kofar that Amua does. But what the Gemara is all still assuming, though, is is that the ox would still be stoned. Right? You see that? How the Gemara is never challenging the idea that you stone the ox. Could be you stone the ox even if you did a Shmir Ma'ula. You got an ox that's killing people. I really don't care what Shmir you did. This is not a question of liability. This is a question of getting rid of this killing ox. Okay? So it could be that you stone... What? It is our assumption, but we never said it explicitly. Right? We never explicitly addressed the case. I mean, if anything, you could say it's all the more reason to stone it. I went ahead and I put on this huge, you know, big wall, chain link fence, the whole thing, electric fence, and it still escaped and killed somebody. Oh, well, then we won't stone it. What are you talking about? Then the more reason you got to stone it, right? So presumably you stone the ox regardless of the level of Shmira. But what we're seeing here is that in terms of paying Kofar, that seems to be exactly treated the same as whether you would pay damages in terms of the level of Shmira. So if you did a Shmira Pachusa and you'd be exempt for damages, you're also exempt for Kofar. So if the Gemara is saying the scenario is you did a Shmira Pachusa and you can tell the owner, I don't have to reimburse you for your stoned ox because I did the right level of Shmira if I'm a Shomer Chinam, then nobody would have to pay Kofar if we're dealing in a scenario of Shmir Pchuso according to Reb Yehuda yes so what I'm trying to understand is also is this kind of Rabbanan in conversation with the one of the previous Kamaran so far as Kavana because that one differentiated Kavana the, the, the Kofar depends on its Mu'at status it's only yeah this is presuming Kavana well, let's not get into that, that yeah yeah 
uh, we're not going to get into that. But yes, we're presuming all the normal things. We, we could complicate if we wanted to. So the Lord said like this. Okay, so what's the explanation? Obviously, we have to be talking about a Shmir Pchusa that lets the Shomarchinam say the owner, I'm not responsible that it's a stoned ox. But it still has to be that in that case, Kofir is still going to be paid. Okay? So how are we going to figure that out? So the Lord says like this. I'm a Rav Huda Barchinina. How many Rabbi Eliezer he? The Amar ain't lo Shmir Elisakin. So Rabbi Eliezer says the only way you're going to you're going to watch a muad ox is by killing it. Okay, which basically means that you're always liable. You can do no Shmir to get out of it, whether it's about damage, whether it's about kofar. Okay, once the ox is a muad, there is no watching you can do that gets you out of liability. Okay, Ulinian Socher, right? Ulinian Socher, Savalek Rabbi Yehuda, Damer Socher, Knosei Socher, Dami. So yes, we're following the Reb Yehuda position of grouping Socher in here, but in terms of the liability to damage that it causes, we will say, well, we'll figure out what liability Tom is, but in Muad, you're always going to be Chayev, okay? And therefore, you did this level of Shmira, you're Chayev Kofer, because in Muad, you're always Chayev, but it became a Shor Nifka. If you're a Shomachinim, you could say, hey, I wasn't negligent that your ox is stoned. I don't have to reimburse you. These guys, no, they are, they, they, they if, oh, this was the only level of Shmir they did, they have still some negligence and they have to reimburse the owners for the dead ox. Okay, so because of this, the Shomachinim doesn't have to reimburse for the dead ox. These guys do. But because it's a Muad, when it's a Muad, it's always going to be a kofar payment, okay? Because of uh, because a muad never can be fully watched. Now, by the way, though, who's going to pay the kofar payment in this case? If this is true, right, that a muad always pays even if you did whatever, right? It could be that the owners pay the payment, right? If we've done the watching we were supposed to do, and the animal is still liable, okay, could be that then you got to go back to the owner. We weren't responsible to do a higher level of watching than we normally contracted for. Any greater watching has has to be the owner's responsibility. Okay? So now the Gemara says like this. It doesn't sound that way, right? Because it sounds like it's the showman who paid the co-fair and that. I know. Okay, so anyway, the Gemara says like this. Okay. Um, it's like Rebbe Mayer. But Baba Baba reverses who says that the Socher is like a Nose Sachar. Okay? He teaches Socher Kate to Mishal. How does Socher pay? Rebbe Mayer Omer Kishomer Sachar. Rebbe Mayer says like a Shomer Sachar. Rebbe Udomer Kishomer Chinam. Okay. So therefore, we're back here. It's a Socher. Okay? And, but it would be a normal position, a Rebbe Mayer position. Rebbe Mayer says a Muad needs a high level of Shmira and a Tom needs a lower level of Shmira. So this is following Rebbe Meir's idea of the level of Shmir, which is a normal thing. And also, it would put Rebbe Meir, the Socher would be here. So you did a low level, and therefore, Shomer Chinam can say, I do not have to reimburse the owner if it became a Shor but it will be a, but because it was only a low level, and this thing was a Muad, there still will be a Kofar that is going to be paid out. Okay? So that's the case of the Brighton. Wait, I'm sorry. So they did a lower level shmira from one. Everybody did a lower level. So the shomer would pay. Then they right. Now the Shomachina might not pay because the Shomachina might say I understand that somebody's still paying Kofar but it ain't me I did the level of Shmir I was required to do No, Okay, but, no, but, no, but these guys would pay for the Kofar and they would pay for the fact that the ox became a Shohanisko but not the Shomachina Alright Now the Gemara says I'm Rebbe Lezer Mazer Shomer Lishomachina Hizik Chayav Huzak Patur So he says if you gave your ox to a Shomachina if it damaged others you're Chayav if it got damaged you're exempt Okay, so now what's the case? 
presumably you did the same level of shmira. So if you did a minimum shmira, you should be exempt in both cases. And if you did no shmira, you should be liable in both cases. So hey chidami, what's the case? If you agreed, with presumably you did by default, agreed to accept liability for if it for if it gets damaged, then and you didn't do, and we're assuming you didn't do any shmira, then you're liable even if it gets damaged. If you did not accept any liability, which would both be if it got damaged or it did damage, so if you he's lifter, then you should be exempt. Right? It's either all or nothing. Either you accepted liability and then you're chayiv in both ways, or you didn't and you're exempt in both ways. Okay. I'm a rabbi. Olam should keep a lot of shmiras nizkav. Okay. No, you accepted liability. But how can I ask you on? Well, no. It's pre- I think it's default. Default. You accept liability. That's what it means to be a shomer. But how can I ask you on? What are we talking about? You saw that it was had a had a, had a propensity to gore. Okay. The stam de milsa. And again, this is just what we can presume. When you, ex- I gave you my ox that was known to be a goring ox. Doesn't matter if it's a ta- technically a tam or a muad. We all know that it's that it has this propensity to gore. And I say, Michael, could you watch my ox? My ox with the vicious nature. You so, so I knew. You I knew. Right. Known. You're you presumed to have known. In a case where it could be assumed that you knew that. And I said, can you watch this ox? And it's presumed that you knew that it had a vicious nature. So why do you think I'm asking you to watch my ox if we know well, it has a vicious nature? But forget that. What am I trying to prevent? Meaning, not I'm trying to prevent it from damaging someone else. Right? Normally, you don't have to watch, you know, so therefore, in that context, the thing that's foremost in my mind is it might go out and damage, and that's presumably what, the, what we've contracted. In that case, um, what we're accepting liability for is that it shouldn't damage other people. Presumably, it's not occurring to you that I'm concerned about that, okay, and therefore, you're not liable. But if nothing is said, the default, as our mission teaches, is that you're liable in both, for both things, for being damaged and damaging. But in some cases, we can presume or exp- either stipulate or presume only one of them is being accepted. You know, it occurred to me, like, why should we assume that they both go hand in hand? They presume to me, like, this is what happens when you take out car insurance, right? Because when you're taking out car insurance, they're always asking you to sign, like, you want insurance for this, insurance for this, insurance for this. Basically, you're trying, uh, those, some of those insurance packages, like the collision ones or whatever, right, are both for Huzak and Hezek, aren't they? Right, when you take those various insurances, right? The collision insurance is both if your car gets damaged and if the car damages other people, right? So it's sort of, it's understood that you're taking somebody else's object, we've got to worry about both types of things that could happen. Okay, so we finally now, finally, finally turn to the mission that we've been referring to and that I would have liked to have been way at the beginning, which is, what is your level of Shmira required to, in order to be exempt when an ox goes and damages? Let's take a look. If the owner's tied it up with the, sort of the, the rope, okay? It's like it's, uh, you know, the normal sort of uh, reins, okay? The knob, the son of Karoy, and they locked it in the, in the proper way, which is like the standard level of Shemir. Nothing fancy here, but they did what everybody does. They, they tied up the rope, they locked the gate, the Yatsu Vihizik, and it went down and damaged. Eredam Bechen Mur Chayev, Tiv Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir says you're Chayev. So for Rebbe Meir, okay, what you need is, for Rebbe Meir says, that a Tom and a Muad are Chayev unless you do the highest level. Okay? So Rabbi Meir would have a Tom and a Muad are Chayev even in this case. In order to be Pater, it has to be, it has to be, because you did the minimum level and you're still going to be Chayev. In order to be Pater, you would have to do a high level. That's what Rebbe Meir says. That's not counter to what we said 
Um, before, but, oh, I put the tom down here, but you're right, it doesn't matter. You could put the tom up here. The case was, I, I, I misdid it before, but the Gemara still works. Okay, Re, Re, no, Rebbe Huda was the one who had it inverted, right? Rebbe Mayer, right, Rebbe Huda had, the, had, had, had it reversed. But I did, I, did split, I did split them here, and I shouldn't have. Okay, the case is, you're, you're bo- you both need a Shmir Ma'ula. In our case, well, you did a Shmir Pachusa, the owners, the, the, the Shomer was still exempt to the owner that it became a Sharnifko, but the animal would still be liable for, still be a liability for damages that it did. Okay, so he says, for both of them, you need a high level of Shmira. Um, Rebbe Huda Omer, here's the crazy Rebbe Huda, Tam so Tom is exempt, so we need another color for Rebbe Yehuda. Okay, Rebbe Yehuda says, here, a Muad, you're exempt with a low level, and a Tom, you're only exempt with a high level. So you did a minimum level, you're Chayev for the Tom, you're Pater for the Muad. Okay, Tom Chayev Muad Pater. the Lo Yishmerenu Ba'alav, the Shema who's that? When it speaks about it going out as a muat, it says you were warned and you didn't watch it. So in this case, you watched it. All you have to do is a minimum level of shmirah and you're exempt for a muat. Of course, it's completely counterintuitive. Okay, Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, ain't lo shmirah lasakin. Rabbi Eliezer, we need a third color. Okay, Rebbe, uh, 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 black. Let's see if this works. Okay, and Rabbi Eliezer says we don't know what Rabbi Eliezer would say about a what do you call it about a tom, but Rabbi Eliezer says for a muad, you're always you can do the highest level and you're still going to be chayev. Okay, all right. So let's take a look at the Gemara. My time is Rebbe Meir. What's the reasoning of Rebbe Meir who says that uh, you know they both need a high level? Rashi says what this means is when the Torah is talking we can presume the Torah is presuming that the normal person is not bothering to watch their oxen okay because you know who basically normal oxen are tame and you don't need to go ahead and watch them and prevent them from going and goring and the Torah says nevertheless okay you're not watching your ox and you have to pay if it's a tom which means that the Torah is trying to tell you you're paying because you didn't do any shmira. You had to do a higher level than normally is done if you want to get out of paying for a tam. So you're, you're paying because you didn't do anything. You have to do a higher level. So you have to do minimum shmira for a tam. Then it tells you by the muad, you were warned and you didn't watch it. Means now that it became a muad, you had to do a higher level. You need even a higher level. So the fact that it made you do a tam means you do need to do more than zero. You need to do minimum. Then it says by a muad, you, you really were continue to be negligent means once it became a muad you should have done even more you should have done the higher level okay that would have had Tom down here and muad over here but then we can bring them together okay the always nigichol Tom nigichol muad it says yigach and yigach in both places so we upgrade the Tom once we get to the muad the lo yishmerenu which means you have to do a high level we're going to say that applies even to a Tom alright you get it the idea is you have to do a high level of shmira what's Rebbe Yehuda which is the complete inverse logic Rebbe Yehuda Savar no, no, no. The Torah presumed that you were watching your ox. And nevertheless, it says you're going to pay for a tam. So already by a tam, if it's making you pay, your standard level of watching wasn't enough. In order to get out of a tam, the Torah wanted you to do the highest level of watching. Okay? And then it says by a muad, which suggests even more than the highest. How could you do more than the highest? 
Have a riboy achar riboy. It's making a, a high demand that, like, it, it's adding something after adding something, increasing after increasing. The ain riboy achar riboy lemayit. So since you were already at the highest level of shmir by a time, and then it said by the mord, and you should have done a shmira, it's actually coming to say the opposite. By a time, as long as you've done any shmir, it would have no, been okay. Yeah, you could have. I know. Okay, um, I get it. Um, so, uh, so therefore, it says that you don't have to do for time for mood. You don't have to do the high level, minimum levels. Okay. Oh, so now once we got the mood to be down to a low level, let's link a mood and tam and bring down the tam to a low level as well. You did not watch it, which now means you didn't do a minimum watching of it of the muad. Only for this and not for another one. Meaning, so only for the muad is a minimum level acceptable, not for tam. Now, of course, whatever you do with the pasuk, okay, this is a crazy idea, right? Yeah. How could it be that you have less shmira needed for tam for, for muad than for tam? So I'm going to tell you what I told you earlier, which actually fits with the language of the Gemara of stam shvar of stam shimur. And what I said is the following: is that Rabbi Yehuda fits very well with the idea that a tam is a knas. If a tam is a knas, it means that you never you were paying even though there was no good reason for you to pay. Okay, you weren't at fault. You should have. You, there was no reason to expect an Oxford Gorb, which, by the way, sits with a different read of the phrase of the Gemara. Stam shvarim becheskas shimur. It doesn't just mean that most people normally watch their oxen. What it means is an ox could be assumed to be watched. You know, to be uh, watched by itself. Oxen don't go out and gore, okay? And nevertheless, you have to pay for a time. So the reason you're paying is not because you were at fault. You weren't at fault. It's just arbitrary. We're going to make you pay for a time, okay? Well, if it's arbitrary, okay, then I can never get out of it. I was anyway. I was like, well, I watched it. I, I wasn't at fault. You weren't at fault even when you didn't watch it. The only way you'd be exempt is if you did the maximum shmir and then it still happened, then it's like an act of God. Okay, then it's not like it all connected to you. But otherwise, claiming you didn't have, we weren't at fault, you weren't at fault, you weren't at fault even, you know, you, you weren't at fault to begin with and we're still making you pay. Okay, so a tam is arbitrary. It's your animal that gored, you gotta pay half even if you're not to blame. Okay, a muad, you're paying because, for normal reasons, because you were negligent and you were at fault. So once you do a minimum level of shmira, you're no longer negligent, then you're no longer, go, then, then you're no longer going to pay. This is normal, and once you're not negligent, you're exempt. This is arbitrary, and that you're always going to pay. Of course, the logic is, is that how do, how do we go easier on you just because you became more to blame? And that's why we're going to see the position we said earlier, that Reb Yehuda says, that Sad Tamus Bimkomo Omedes. You remember that idea? So that even when you do a minimum level for Reb Yehuda, this actually makes sense why you want to say this for Reb Yehuda. Because this is counterintuitive, when you do a minimum level, it gets you out of the liability of fault. But you should still have the, the, the strict liability of half payment that you always pay for a time. The half payment for a time is not based on fault. So that should always remain even after it becomes a muad. So you'll get out of the muad payment, which is based on fault, but you won't get out of the time payment. Okay, so let's take a look about that in the Gemara. Okay? So let's just read one more, a few more lines. What do you mean? How could you say lo yishmerenu means to tell me that you, you only need to do a minimum, only for a muad is a minimum shmira okay. You need it for a prohibition. It doesn't mean a prohibition. It just doesn't mean to tell you that you're liable because you didn't do a shmira. No. Well, yeah, 
because you didn't do a shmiru, you're paying. My velo yishmirenu, you didn't watch it. This one and not another. So that's anyway, Rabbi Meir, that says only the muad you get off of the shmir pachusa. Tiny, we turn to Bryce. Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov Omer. Echadam bechad muad shishamu shmir pachusa pater. My timer. So he actually says tam and muad are both down here. That's a fourth position. I don't have a fourth color. Okay, I guess I have red. Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov. Okay, well, I, I use green already. Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov says tam and muad are both down here. Okay, they both have a minimum shmira. Okay. Um, my time, a solo crab Yehuda damer muad b'shmir pchusa sagilei. The olive negicha letam negicha lemuad. He holds like Reb Yehuda that starts like this, but then once it had negicha negicha, the tam got pulled down to the muad. All right, fine. We have all four possibilities. I just want to read this next line of Tzad Tamuz from Komo Omedes because it's almost necessary to say this within Reb Yehuda's strange idea. Okay, our avada bar ava lo pater Reb Yehuda tzad haada shabo. When Reb Yehuda went easy on the muad, it was only for the additional payment of the muad, the other half. The time half, you're always going to pay for. It's the same way this was an arbitrary payment, whatever, that's because the Iraq scored, you pay half, that remains true, and that's that strict liability, even when we add the additional fault liability of the Muad. So will pay half like a Tom. If you do a Shmir Pachusa for a Muad, you'll pay half Nezek like a Tom. I'm a Rav. Muad, okay, you know, we'll have to stop here. Okay, so there's one more point that I was going to make about Saad Thomas and Komo Medes, but we'll pick up with this tomorrow.